Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard and the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies is Tom Jocelyn, who's been incredibly busy the past few days since Paris. And I want to start, Tom, with a big picture question. What do we know today that we didn't know or could only speculate about Friday when these attacks were occurring? Well, I think you've seen more and more details come out of European officials, including French President uh, Hollande, where, you know, describing this as a plot that was basically orchestrated by ISIS in Syria and Iraq. Uh, the logistical network for it is in Europe, particularly in Belgium, and then it was carried out in France. And that uh, speaks to the fact that this is a professional terror, ne- terror network in play. It's not, uh, of course, something that was just sort of randomly thrown together. This shows the high degree of uh, coordination and professionalism on ISIS's part. Uh, the uh, spin was that ISIS was kind of these very enthusiastic kind of bumblers. The best they could do was to get some you know, basement-dwelling loser in Detroit or someplace to go out and commit a small-time attack. Was that a miscalculation, or was ISIS successful in hiding its abilities from the West? You know, it's an interesting question. I testified for Congress on this in September 2014, and I argued at the time that anybody who, who was saying that we know that ISIS can't do this sort of thing was wrong. And the reason is because we've we've seen over and over again uh, what this is called in counterterrorism parlance is the external operations capacity for a terrorist group or a jihadist group. And they mean, you know, attacks basically in the West. And what we've seen time and again is that we've been hot behind the curve in understanding how far along these groups are in having this sort of capability. So with Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, for example, it wasn't until a would-be suicide bomber got on board a Detroit-bound plane that the entire U.S. intelligence community establishment had to rewrite their assessments of AQAP and the threat to the homeland. And so my argument at the time was, you know, look, these guys are highly professional in what they do in Iraq and Syria and elsewhere. They're already carrying out coordinated uh, assaults and attacks. We know some of their personnel certainly are pining to get into that game to actually to launch attacks in the West. They've threatened us with their rhetoric. And we've seen uh, sort of these smaller plots that started bubbling up on, on the surface. Now, this was back in September 2014. And since then, the case has only gotten stronger. We've seen over and over again, in particular in January of this year, Belgian authorities said that they had broken up a major plot in Belgium that, that likely involved some of the Paris attackers actually on Friday, uh, where they said that this, this was a major terrorist attack that they thwarted in January. And then UK officials have said on a number of occasions now that they've broken up serious plots by ISIS. So, yeah, I totally agree that this was underestimated by a lot of people. You know, I remember in January... Uh, Fox News being mocked for reporting that there were no-go neighborhoods in the suburbs of Paris and that this notion that parts of Europe were so uh, under the sway of whether you want to say devout Muslims or Islamists or something along those lines was just, just you know, fear and panic. And then there was the news story yesterday, Tom, or day before, I guess now, saying that this plot occurred in a neighborhood where local authorities simply don't go, where they don't hold sway. Is uh, have you seen other myths like this that, that have been, uh, you know, uh, set aside or punctured uh, by the uh, actions of uh, Friday night? Well, I think it's pretty complicated, actually, what's going on with counterterrorism officials, intelligence officials in Europe, and trying to track these threats and how they manifest themselves. I mean, you know, some of the plotting, you know, a lot, a great deal of the plotting actually took place in Belgium, uh, according to the latest assessments. In, in various neighborhoods there. And, you know, so it, it's it's sort of complex how to track this sort of thing. But the, the big myth to me that's been punctured here is the idea that ISIS is only interested in grabbing territory, these sort of land grabs and building a state, and they're not interested in big attacks in the West. And, you know, the, the flip side of that argument is people arguing, well, Al-Qaeda is only interested in big attacks in the West 
and they're not interested in grabbing territory or building Islamic states. Both arguments are totally false. And it really, to me, speaks to the fact that 14 years after 9-11, we as a society don't even have a basic understanding of the ideology that drives our jihadist enemies, what their goals are, or what the differences are between their tactics and strategies. And we really have not put in any effort to understand that. And in fact, I think, unfortunately, I think the current administration has really fed a lot of the misunderstandings in this regard. You, can, you saw today, that obviously, that President Obama looked pretty uncomfortable talking about these matters uh, you know, in, his, in his talk and in some of the questions that were, were sent his way were, were very pointed. But you know, President Obama has invested a lot of energy in this idea and this notion that groups like ISIS are really local threats that aren't going to basically come after the West and aren't really a primary concern for us in that regard. Uh, you know, and, and of course, Paris, unfortunately, is the ultimate uh, argument against that. A reporter asked the president today on behalf of uh, who he described as frustrated Americans, quote, why can't we take these bastards out, close quote. Uh, Tom Jocelyn, the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, why can't we take these SOBs out? Well, I, I think we can. I think I think the U.S. is quite capable of, of taking these guys out. You know, one of the big myths is uh, that the U.S. somehow – you know, would automatically get bogged down in war. And, and sort of the whole lesson that's supposedly been learned from Iraq is you don't want to put boots on the ground because that leads to a prolonged, dragged out conflict. But I think people that make those arguments aren't being honest in looking at the flip side, which is that we've now got a state of perpetual war, which they claim to want to avoid, including the president, uh, because basically what they've decided to do is carry out airstrikes when they're convenient against our enemies and targets of opportunity. And what that means is that basically right now the U.S. is carrying out airstrikes. Just think in the last couple of weeks, all the way from Libya, all the way through the heart of the Middle East into Afghanistan. And there's no real strategy to end the conflict, to end the war, to say that we're going to bring this to end. All there is is really the strategy is basically we're going to hit those targets of opportunity, those threats that we can identify immediately, and leave basically the rest of it to play out. And, you know, an occasion, of course, the administration will say, well, they're building up local partners or working with local partners you know, that's true to a certain extent, but there's clearly no strategy to really end their hold on territory, whether it be ISIS or al-Qaeda throughout the entire region. Uh, President Obama has mentioned the coalition of 65 partners he's put together several times. Do you think if I quizzed him, he could name more than five or six of those 65 partners? And what are they doing? You know, probably not. You know, you know, you just go back to your last question, too, on, on that point, too, because I'm not satisfied with my answer. Mm. Uh, I would say, you know, when you talk about can we defeat these guys? You know, one of the things we track since 9-11, you look at the Marines, you look at our elite forces in the U.S., in a straight fight against these guys, I think they've only lost twice, you know, in all that time. I think there are only two times where you could say they really actually probably got beaten. In, in, in both cases, the geography and the local circumstances were very much heavily weighed against them. Meanwhile, you know, they've kicked the jihadis' tail over and over and over again. Just there hasn't been a consistent effort or consistent strategy to do that. So, you know, Iraq, we get wrong at first. And then, of course, there's the surge strategy, which turns things around, partnering with local Sunni tribes and others to basically really put these guys on their back heels. So al-Qaeda in Iraq and the Islamic State of Iraq, predecessor organizations to ISIS, they get turned on their back heels. And basically, we really get momentum against them. We pull the plug on that effort under President Obama, and very quickly, ISIS metastasizes in Iraq and Syria. Same thing with the Taliban in Afghanistan. We kick them out initially in Afghanistan. They really are no match for our forces. They come back several years later, really around 2005, they start coming back into the game. Um, you know, the Bush administration is slow to really counter that and come up with a strategy for combating them. President Obama comes up with a plan, uh, albeit short-lived, over 18 months, 
to inject forces into southern Afghanistan primarily. And, you know, actually the Taliban is turned back there in Al-Qaeda. But the problem is that, you know, these are obviously are large endeavors, large war fighting, you know, sort of capabilities you need to put in place to do this. The, the political appetite has been that people don't want to do that. Right. And so we pretend like there is no answer to actually defeat these guys. And I just think it's wrong. And I'm glad you said that because that's, to me, what keeps coming out. As I, as I listen to people say just nonsensical things like the that ISIS is contained or that there's no connection between Islam, the theology, and the violence that we see and on and on. And I realize they, they have to know that what they're saying is nonsense. And it's because they don't want to say the truth, which is that there is a problem inside Islam that's going to have to be worked out by the Muslim people, uh, and it's probably not going to be an easy fight, and it's probably going to involve bloodshed, and we can take these guys out, but it's going to involve a serious military commitment. Which brings us to the last question, and please not, you know, knock my rhetorical head at any time, okay, Tom? <laughs> my theory is we get NATO together and we commit like one long weekend like Veterans Day weekend, something like that, and we got ISIS gone. We put you know the guys on the ground, the guys in the air, and we just go through. We could wipe them out as a you know military deal in a you know maybe a week. The question then is what next, and that's the what I'm told is the problem. The problem is because it's in this ideological war that I re- just referenced. All that would happen is there'd be some other form of this fundamentalist versus not so fundamentalist, Shia versus Sunni, Western versus non-Western, the same idea. In other words, no one has an ideal to carry in with the soldiers that says, okay, first we're putting down the bad guys. Then second, here's a path forward for a better life that you can embrace. And, you know, 30 years from now, the place will look different. Is, is that a fair criticism of where we are and why we can't act? I think, I think that's a large part of it. I think, you know, people are obviously wary of sort of nation building. And so every, every effort is sort of contrasted with nation building or portrayed as nation building and saying we don't want to do that so therefore you know basically let's just strike it from the air and call it a day and I think we really need to have a deeper conversation and debate about what it is we need to do here because look we're sitting here in 2015 and people can talk about how they want to avoid large wars and they want to avoid warfare and all that that's great I I would wish we were not at war too but here we are 14 years after 9-11 and as I just said, the U.S. is carrying out airstrikes and has involved special operations raids for everywhere from North Africa all the way to South Asia. The idea that we're not at war, not on a war footing, is just absurd. Of course we're at war. The question is, do we want to try to actually win this war, bring it to an end so we're not in perpetual warfare? And I think a lot of what you're talking about is sort of the conventional wisdom, the consensus of people is that basically there's no way to really win this, so therefore right. let's just keep doing what we're doing. And I don't think that's I don't think that's the case. I'm, I'm more optimistic than that. I think that American forces... You know, you put the Marines against these guys and they're going to lose, you know. And I think we do have the ability to basically influence local governments to ultimately be the, uh, you know, the bearer of the brunt of this to make sure that they don't come back and that they actually, uh, um, you know, can really quash this once and for all. Is it easy? No. I think there are a lot of things that people need to do that the U.S. government needs to be doing and should be doing to win this. But the problem is we're not even on a partial path to winning. Right now, all we're doing is in this tactical air war, which just means we're going to keep fighting forever. Tom Jocelyn with the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies and a frequent contributor to the Weekly Standard. Thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.